Once again, we want to welcome you. Thank you for joining with us. We are uh, beginning a new series this morning. Uh, uh, for the next four weeks, we're going to uh, talk about something that's a, a common uh, problem within our culture, but we don't talk about it very much, and that's uh, mental health. Uh, mental health is one of those things that has uh, is at a crisis level in the United States of America. It, it is a rampant and a growing problem uh, that the church uh, for a long time has been uh, not willing to talk about. It, a lot of it has to do with our American culture. Uh, in, in the United States of America, we like to think of ourselves as self-sufficient. We like to think uh, that we can handle our own problems. And in the church, uh, while we like to, to praise God, we don't want anybody knowing our business. And we don't want, uh, we don't want to admit that we might be weak uh, and that we might have problems. But it is something we desperately need to talk about. It is, it, as I said, it's, it's rampant in the United States. You go back to 2019, 2018, 2019, prior to the pandemic, prior to the race riots, prior to the election stuff, prior to all of the garbage we've been through in the last few years, uh, prior to uh, the, the last uh, uh, school shooting in Uvalde, uh, the national average, uh, which is still fairly high, the national average for folks with anxiety that was identified as a challenge uh, was about 6% of people, about 6% of the population uh, would uh, were, would be identified as having uh, anxiety at levels that created a disruption in their life. Fast forward to 2022, 19% of people, one in five people in your pew, don't try to figure out who it is, that... <laughs> One in five people, that's disturbing enough. The biggest demographic in which those things are showing up are in teenagers and young adults. It's also uh, marked by a raise, uh, a raise in suicide and suicide attempts. It is, it, 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 it's no wonder if you really think about it with all that's going on. And if you think of those young adults, uh, uh, the emerging generations, if you think of, of all that they've been through and, and all of the disruption that's a part of it. And, and uh, for us that are older, we, we, every generation has its challenges and stuff, but it's just played out on high def TV and images for folks now uh, where we read about it in the paper and heard about it. That they have witnessed these things, and and over and over and over, the, this this sense of lostness has has emerged within our culture. As I said, we don't we don't like to talk about it. it comes up in the news, like after the Uvalde uh, school shooting. What would lead a young man to want to do that to people? It, it, it comes up as uh, something, that, but usually it's just a political point to score points or to take a shot at the other side and to divert the, the conversation from gun control or anything like that and save your cards and letters on that. I'll, I'll, I'll be okay. Um, we don't talk about it in a way that is healing and recognizing. And if there's a place where we should be able to talk about this, the church is the place because we in the church know the great physician. 
We know the one from whom all healing comes. We know the person who designed us, who who put his image inside of us, who has wanted a relationship with us, who created us out of uh, love and in expectation of a relationship, who has all power and authority. If there's any place within the culture where we could be talking about this in healing ways and, and mindful ways, the church is it. But sometimes the church does more damage in these areas than we do good. Because it makes us uncomfortable when we talk about this. And for many of us in the church, we don't know what to say, and so we say stupid stuff. Like bumper sticker, Bible verse stuff. Right? I, for me, I know anxiety is showing up in my life when my sleep patterns get disrupted. Or when I get cold sores, which I have one right now on my, on my lip. Right, I, I, that's that's sort of the signal to me that my anxiety is getting out of whack, and it can have to do with a whole lot of uh, stuff. But one of the things that's frustrated me, and this is from my first appointment as a pastor up until now, of whenever I try to talk to people about that and tell them what's going on, they'll say, "You're a pastor; you shouldn't have that kind of anxiety." And then I love it when they quote the Bible to me too, like I've never read it, but. <laughs> Philippians 4, don't worry about anything. Which makes me just want, poof, hit on it. Right? And no, we, we do that in many ways, right? There's somebody who's lost a family member and we don't know what to say, so we say something stupid like God needed another angel in heaven. Oh, please. We, we don't know how to deal with it. And we end up, we send this message of just choke that stuff down. That doesn't belong in the public arena. We, we, we've talked over uh, the months and the years about the exit that's happening in church and with those younger generations who are not finding a spiritual home in our, in our churches. And it's, it's not because of, uh, of our buildings and our structures and everything. It's because the way they see us practicing our faith and being real with the real emotions that people go through, they don't see us talking about those things in, in relevant ways. They see the church sort of ignoring the problem that's around. We come in, we dress up, we sing our songs, we put on our, our happy face, we drink coffee, we shake hands, we go home, and then cuss out each other as we watch TV. But if there's a place that we can address anxiety and chaos and mental health issues, it's the church. We're calling this series uh, Finding Peace in the Midst of Chaos. In, in a broken world where bad things happen, bad people exist, bad situations happen, I think every single one of us, we may not be plagued with what you would call overriding anxiety, but I think every one of us can pull from memory a time where circumstances got the best of us. And we were unsure and we didn't know what to do and we didn't know where to turn. We're at a stage like that in the church. We, we're doing this uh, prayer time uh, for our church and, and the prayer that we are doing, if you haven't gotten this card, they're available out there. We're asking everybody to pray this prayer. It's by Thomas Merton. 
My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain when it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am doing your will does not mean that I'm actually doing it. But I believe the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope that I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear for you are ever with me and you will never leave me alone to face my perils. This, this idea that we need God. I, I have to tell you, as, as, a, as a male and as a, as a dad of two daughters and now a, a granddaughter, and my, my oldest is a counselor. She's got a psychology degree, right? And, and how often as a, as a parent, like when my millennial daughters have talked about social anxiety or things, and I've just been like, just change your mind. Do it better. I know. <laughs> You're going to get an insight into the darkness here today. but And especially Haley, my younger one, is, Dad, you are so stupid. And I am. I am. I mean, because so many of us were raised with that sort of idea. Don't share your problems. Nobody wants to be burdened with your stuff. Suck it up. Try harder. Do something different. But is that scriptural? Is that who we're supposed to be? I think part of why I think part of why our our culture is in a mental health crisis is because we've forgotten how desperately we need God. We are trying to operate at a level above our creation in which we can handle the problems of the world, but you were not designed to handle the problems of the world. There is one God, and it's not you. And it's not me. That is not who we are designed to be. We, are, we have been designed to be in a relationship with a God who can handle all the details of the world. But we're not meant to handle that by ourselves. We're going to use the passage that I hated when it was quoted to me because it was used out of context, but it is good teaching in how we can handle anxiety. It's Philippians chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 6. Who's back there? Brooklyn, are you the one back there? Thank you, Brooklyn. It says this, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for all He's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, right, pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. And then the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Thanks be to God. So Paul starts off by saying, don't worry about anything. And for so many of us, we stop there. Don't worry about anything. Uh, I've heard this passage preached uh, many times where you stop there. In fact, I, I can go back in my memory of times I've preached this passage 
and, and, and come at it from this. Worry is the opposite of faith. And therefore, if you're worrying, you're displeasing to God, right? Uh, it, and, and there's some truth in that, that uh, faith is the opposite of worry. But how many of you have never worried in your life, right? And that, what good does it do to say, don't worry? Well, now I'm worried that I'm worrying, and what's too much, right? It, it, we, we, we can't go there, right? It, don't worry. We, we, we forget to go forward, but don't worry about anything. But the next passage is what is enlightening for us. But pray about everything. See, I think a lot of times we see worry as sin, that worry is the problem. But worry isn't sin. Worry is part of the human condition. Worry is not sin, but worry is a signal that we need to be doing something different. When worry starts creeping in, what it needs to do is tell us, I'm not in close enough conversation with my Heavenly Father. It's like that light on your dashboard when your engine isn't working the way it's supposed to or the oil light comes on. You need to pay attention to that or your car's not going to work for very long, right? And, and with us, we are not designed to carry all the cares of the world. We're, we just weren't designed that, that way. And anxiety is a signal that our, our ability to process normal human life is being taxed. And there's lots of reasons it gets taxed. It can be a building up of grief. It can be an overwhelming set of circumstances. It can be a culture that just runs on, on hatred all the time. All those things. But it, for a normal day, we can take what life gives us. We, it comes in. We're able to process it, sort of work through it, offload it, download it, step away from it, and proceed with our life. But at times in our life, when things get overwhelming, I, there's something that's backing up in the mechanism, and it keeps coming, and it keeps coming, and we can't find a way to process it and download it. And before you know it, we're carrying this burden that's shadowing everything. And, and, and again, worry is not a sin. I mean, when, 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 you're, when your spouse is going through cancer, cancer treatment, when you've lost a loved one, when the finances aren't making sense, when whatever else is out there, it's not a sin to worry about those. But when worry starts to get the best of you and when you start to see that you're not offloading the stress, it's a signal that pops up that says, you need to talk to God more. Prayer is the thing that connects us with this living God. Prayer is the way that we, that we give Him our problems. And, and for so many of us, we've been taught not to bother people with our problems, but actually in the Scripture, God invites us over and over to give our problems to Him. Come to me, all who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, Matthew. First um, Peter, cast all your cares upon me. There's this constant invitation that Christ wants us to share stuff with Him. Why? Because He's designed to handle it. We're not. 
And out of his love and his mercy and his grace, he says, stop trying to carry all that yourself. That's not yours. Give it over to me. And what Paul goes on to say is that when we pray about stuff, when we give thanks, and when we make our needs known, that somehow the peace of God, the peace of God that that exceeds all of our understanding, that somehow that peace of God can be ours. Paul didn't understand it. None of us can understand it. It doesn't make sense that this action like prayer can make a difference in your life or you can go from from worry and anxiety into peace. Well, we don't think it does, but it actually does make sense. I was reading some this week about mental health stuff and about uh, neural pathways and stuff, and it was way too scientific for this preacher brain. So uh, this is my summary of, of what I read, that the neural pathways in our mind get trained and they fire. Uh, we, we train our mind to think in certain ways, which is why you should turn the news off. All you're doing is training your mind to circle around negative, right? And and it, it just it develops this pathway and then you're, you just immediately go back to it. You, you don't even have to think. Any of you that have been married, that no matter what you fight about, it always ends up being a fight about the same thing? Oh, we're the only ones that do that. Okay, but... <laughs> now, I mean, it starts about something, but it always ends up the same. That's because those neural pathways, they, it just diverts itself there. But it, it, they've done studies that, that people who pray, and they did studies on the brain, that when you're praying, it, it, re, it retrains the pathways in your mind, which the Bible tells us about, Romans 12, that the Spirit can renew our mind by the way we think. Paul talks about it here. Think what's lovely and pure and admirable and honorable. We can retrain those pathways. That's what prayer does for us. It, by, by sharing that with them, and, and this seems like weakness. This, we're so American, we need to get over that because it's getting in the way of your spiritual life. It is not weakness to recognize you need God. In fact, Paul says, his power is made perfect in your weakness, not in your strength. Prayer, that talking to God, that giving to God, that laying the burden down in front of Him actually does the most to put you in the posture so that God can do His best work. As long as we feel like we're self-sufficient, as long as we're trying to manipulate our world and handle the details on our own, we're basically saying, thank you, God, I don't need you. And He honors your decision. But when we're willing to humble ourselves and make ourselves vulnerable and share with Him what we need and what we're asking and what's overwhelming us, there's this humility and vulnerability that now opens us up and puts us in the posture where He can do His best work in us. And prayer isn't about us informing God of something He doesn't know. God knows everything, right? He, he knows everything. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He, he ha- there's no circumstance, no detail. He doesn't know about us. It's not necessarily for him. It's a rehearsing of that reminds us how much we need God. So my first question for you this morning is, how is your prayer life? 
Are, are you spending time with Him? And, and, and more than five minutes in church once a week. It, praying constantly, as Paul admonishes us to do, is an ongoing conversation with Him. You don't have to have your eyes closed. You don't have to have your knees bent. There are times when that's the posture you want to adopt. But if you're in the car, don't close your eyes. <laughs> it's an ongoing conversation like with your spouse or a friend. It can be raw and real. You read in the you read in the Psalms, you go through some of the Psalms of David, and in the Old Testament they didn't identify mental health problems, but David had s- severe anxiety over trying to uh, save his life from Saul who was trying to kill him. And you read some of the Psalms and David's like, where are you? What are you doing? My enemies have victory over me. Seems like you don't care. You're not doing anything. God, I need you. That's prayer. It's that desperation of the human spirit crying out to a God that I can't deal with this. And he would say as a loving father, I know that's why I ask you to put your cares on me. Prayer is the the first step of of starting to move past it. And and it's not magic. This isn't magic like do A plus B and it equals C. But somehow the peace of God that exceeds all human understanding can be ours when we're willing to open up in prayer rather than worry. So number one, prayer isn't a sin. It's a signal that we need to pray. Number two. What is number two? What is number two, Haley? I'm getting old, man. This is... Thank you. That's why I have the choir come to multiple services. It was really just a test to see if they were listening, but... Second thing, it means we need to stop. It means we need to stop. We overfunction in trying to make our lives better, right? Uh, we call it we call it caring, but it's really manipulation. Um, you do it to your kids. You do it to your spouse. Uh, we we do it in our problems. We try to manipulate and get the the answers we want. Growing up at my first job in a restaurant, whenever a manager would come by and I was standing there, he'd say, don't just stand there, go do something, right? And so many of us grew up with that. Don't just stand there, do something. But a lot of times, scripturally, the better saying is, don't just do something, stand there, right? We, we, we start running around like chickens with our heads cut off, but we don't know what we're doing. Like that prayer, I don't know the road ahead of me. I'm going to run like I do but I don't know what the road is ahead of me. Stop. We, we, we go so much. In our culture, we go so much. Even you retired people, take a break, man. What are you doing with your life? We, we're so scheduled over and over. Like, oh, I'm sorry, I got to get going. Oh, I got to get going. Sorry. Right? And we, and we don't just do it to ourselves. We do it to our kids every moment of our day. We got go, 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 go. Where's the margin? We need margin in our life. Where I'm headed with this series, the last week we're going to talk about Sabbath practice, which is the sixth commandment to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. It's something that our culture has completely done away with. 
and we've, we've turned that away, but it was actually God's design to remind us that he's in control and we don't need to be, that we need to trust him with things, that even when we're not working, he's working on our behalf, but we don't operate that way. We run around thinking that if we take a break, if we don't do everything, then who's going to take care of the world? I mean, those nights I wake up because my mind's doing this. Like some thought I'm going to have is going to change the Ukrainian war or whatever. It's just the ego that we have that our thoughts and our busyness is so important, but we need to stop. Do you remember the story of Elijah? After he called down fire against the prophets of Baal and, and this great demonstration of God, and then uh, he... he he, he sort of went into hiding because his life had been threatened and he went into a depression and he just, he found himself in, in, in the wilderness just depressed and, and sort of crying out for God but feeling sorry for him stuff. And, and there's the passage where the Lord comes to speak to him and it says the Lord wasn't in the, in the fire and he wasn't in the earthquake. But he finally heard the voice of God in the whisper of the Spirit. And folks, when we are so plugged in and we are so busy and so overscheduled, we don't have room for God to do His thing. The conference I went to last week, one of the speakers sort of called out preachers and churches and was like, if the Holy Spirit showed up in your church, would He fit within the structure of the service? Or would you have to say, oh, I'm sorry, we're about to that time. Right? We, we, we overstructure our life and we need margin. Study after study says that rest and sleep is one of the most healing things that you can do. And we are one of the most sleep-deprived nations in the world. Why? Because we're so important. Right? That sleeping is like the resetting of a computer that started to go wonky. It takes all the misconnections and, and aligns them again so it oper- your operating system works. Rest, relaxation, Sabbath is important for that. We go, 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 go. And sometimes we just need to stop. We get uncomfortable in silence. You're thinking, did he forget again? (laughs) (laughs) From now on, that's what I'm going to do just to to mask it. But Stop. Don't just do something. Stop. So we need to be in prayer. We need to stop, retreat, give margin. And then the last thing is recognize that ultimately God's the one that will win the battle. Give your battle over to the Lord, right? In the, in the Old Testament, there's story after story of how God interceded on, the, on behalf of his people and had victory over conflict in, in miraculous ways. David, little David. 
Uh, his dad sends him with sack lunches for his brother who are on the front lines against the Philistines. And Goliath is on the other hill taunting the Philistines and calling them out. And little David shows up and he's like, why are we letting this Philistine insult our people? I'll go take care of him. And David's brothers are like, you shut up, you little nerd. Go back home. And and he said, no, I'm going to go. No one should let God be defamed like this. And so Saul tries to give him his armor and it's too big and he takes it off. And he, no, I'm just going to, I'm going to trust in the Lord. And he goes out and he's got this little David in a slingshot. And as he walks out onto the battlefield, he says, Goliath, today the Lord is going to deliver you into my hands. Today the Lord will deliver you into my hands. Over and over, those battles that Israel fought, the wall of Jericho, I mean, the, the, it, it one battle, instead of sending out the army, they send out the praise team to fight the battle. If I'm, if I'm in charge, I want Dwayne the Rock Johnson and the offensive line from the Dallas Cowboys to be my warriors. They use Chris Tomlin and Kerry Job, and, and, and nobody in this congregation knows who those people are. <laughs> All right. They use Bill Gaither and uh, <laughs> Fanny Crosby. All right. Those, those, right. To go out and win. I got to remember the context of my crowd. But God fought the battle for them. Victory came not because of who they were, but because of what God did for them. This morning, we're going to be celebrating Holy Communion, which is an exclamation point about that. The number one human problem, sin, which separates us from God, over and over and over, even though the law was given, even though miracles were provided, even though battles were won, humankind continued to struggle in sin. And instead of withdrawing and pushing himself away from that, the Lord came in as if to say, I'm going to do for you what you can't do for yourself. Your sin will not allow you to spend eternity with me, so I'm going to fight the battle for you. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world, who walked, had the same temptations that we had, and showed how you could, could walk in this world with integrity, and grace and holiness. He was crucified on the cross and we're told in Scripture that all the sins of the world were laid upon Him. He paid the price for the sin of the world, was raised again as the first harvest of souls to be saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And anyone and everyone who calls on His name will spend eternity with him. The power of sin has been defeated, not by what we have done, but what he did for us. What he did for us. That night that he was with his friends before he was going to be killed, before he was going to sacrifice his life, he wanted to give them a way to remember. So he took bread and he gave thanks. He broke the bread passed it around and said, take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, I want you to remember me. And he took the cup 
and he gave thanks. Passed around the table and said, drink from this, all of you. This is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink of it, remember me. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we run and run and run. And it catches up with us and then we don't know what to do. As strong as we would like to think we are, as self-sufficient as we would think, would like to think we are, we really are helpless without you. Would you pour your spirit out on this group? I, I, I know there's a, at least a couple folks in here that the anxiety that they're going through right now, they just feel like they're barely hanging on. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would minister to their heart right now. To all of us, remind us how good you are, how much you care, and that peace is possible. Even in the midst of brokenness, even in the midst of death, even in the midst of chaos. As we see our in this sacrament together, would you take this bread and this juice and make it be for us your body and your blood so that we can be your hands and feet for the world around us? We want to be one with each other, one with you, and one in ministry to all the world. And we look forward to the final victory, your final battle, when you defeat evil for good, when all things are made new, and we get to sit at your banquet table and cry out together, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we pray this in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the one who taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For that is kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Do you have your containers? You want to turn it upside down? There's a wafer there. The body of Christ broken for you. And then the juice, the blood of Christ shed for you. Thank you.
Brooklyn, can you go back up in that to Psalm 46? This is from Psalm 46, beginning in verse 8. Come see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction upon the world. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow and snaps the spears. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. 